Welcome to Clinical Pearls. I am Tracy White, and I am here with my co-host, BJ Hamankuli. BJ, yeah. what would you say if I had told you 15 years ago that you could push a button and get instant help from an experienced nurse when you were new and on the floor taking care of your patients? I would say you've lost your marbles, Tracy. Well, it's happening. Wow. It is happening, and what a wonderful resource it is. So. We have Paul Melito here today. He is the nurse manager over at the UAB tele-ICU um, area. And wow, the future is here. And he is leading with a lot of other wonderful uh, physicians and um, people over at UAB leading this path of tele-ICU, which provides both improved patient care and experience for nurses and nurse practitioners and physicians and the whole gamut we're going to learn about today. So I'm really excited about what he's going to talk about and how that actually works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited just to hear about just the advancements in telemedicine, tele-ICU and overall telehealth. So I hope you guys tune in and uh, we have a wonderful show ahead of us. Healthcare delivery has advanced in the 21st century one of those advancements has been in remote healthcare services. It is estimated by 2025, approximately 70.6 million years patients or 26.2% of the population will have used remote healthcare services or telehealth. Today, we're very pleased to be joined by Paul Molito, the nurse manager at UAB in the tele-ICU department. Paul, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love being back at UAB. Oh, good. Uh, well, we're excited to talk about uh, this with you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this place of tele-ICU being the manager of all these services at UAB? Yeah, not a problem. Uh, of course, I don't know if you guys have enough time for me to talk about all of it. So I'm a talker and I'll keep going. <laughs> uh, abbreviated, I've been an ICU nurse going on 12 years. I started here at the School of Nursing, UAB School of Nursing, um, with a local celebrity, we'll say, uh, <laughs> DJ's younger brother, uh, CJ. So yeah. I graduated in 2012, I think, mm -hmm. from School of Nursing and worked at another institution in town, worked in ICU. So I've been an ICU nurse the entire time, had an opportunity to manage a, a medical ICU after a couple of years. Didn't do as great there, even though I've got a large management background because healthcare is a third career for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I quickly learned that uh, Working with healthcare professionals is much different than working with other professionals. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, I had to, uh, instead of being cocky, I had to take a step back and learn a little bit more from the bedside and about healthcare. So over the course of about five or six more years, um, learned as much as I could, did some travel assignments, and then came to UAB. Because my goal, I want to serve my community. So mm -hmm. being in Birmingham is a big thing for me. And uh, I had the opportunity to manage, or actually just looking for a management position, look and found this position at UAB and not really knowing what it was. I've always been passionate about telehealth. I see the future of what it is. I see what it is currently. And I know that there's just so much that we can do with it. So I applied for this position and started looking into it. And I had no clue what it was. Hmm. Tele-ICU, I thought it was something completely different. So I started researching and looking online about the different variations of what it is and just fell in love with it. It's an amazing amazing opportunity for us to help supplement our bedside team. So I applied for the position and August 31st of 2020, I was brought on board. So 
I can give you a little background of what tele-ICUs are if you guys want yes, to take it off. I'll yeah. run through it in about three or four minutes, and then we can open things up a little bit more. Yeah, before we do that, yeah. um, give us just a general concept about, for those that do not know what telehealth is, before sure. you go into the, the, you know, the minutia of tele-ICU. Absolutely. So telehealth is as broad as saying Kleenex, or uh, Xerox, mm -hmm. yeah. because even though there is a name brand on it, it spreads so much more. Mm -hmm. So telehealth varies from a phone call with a physician to a video conference with a physician or a pharmacist to being in an e ED or ER, depending on what your number is for it, and doing it on your phone and signing in that way. There's so many different variations on it. It's getting ahead. Telehealth can also be using your portal to get your information. So telehealth spreads so much of what it can be. What we think of it now more, uh, especially since COVID and how that epidemic came across, is having virtual visits with our physicians. Yeah. Now, these started more with uh, not your primary care, but so much as like nephrologists. Dr. Eric Wallace here at UAB is the primary starter of this, the catalyst. Yeah, is. He is amazing. He created this whole branch for UAB, basically. A lot of support, not by himself, obviously, but he was the, the spearhead for that. The thing came in, if you look at central Alabama, it has some of the worst dialysis issues because there's lack of access and availability. Dr. Eric Wallace is a nephrologist by trade. He gave access by being virtual, by able to have these contacts, being able to talk with the patients in a virtual sense by phone calls, video conferencing, and being able to talk with the physicians or the techs there and being able to get these patients their needs. So that's one branch of what telehealth can be. It allows you to have access remotely from miles away and still have your healthcare available to you. So where tele-ICU is, and I yeah. can branch into that now yes, if sir. you guys like, so tele-ICU is a phrase that people don't understand. People really don't know what it is. It's not new to the world, but it is new to Alabama, specifically here in Birmingham. Now, it's been around since 2000, though. And what started it was there was a need for about 35,000 ICU-specific doctors in the country. There were about 5,000 practicing. Wow. wow. So that's a massive deficit. Yeah. Something that we see now with nurses and other healthcare professionals. But at that time... There was a large hospital network in the Midwest, and they say, you know what, we got this doctor that's going hospital to hospital to hospital to hospital, trying to see all their patients. They're missing things. And it's not because they're neglectful, they just don't have the ability to triage multiple patients in multiple hospitals at the same time. We've got to find a way of bringing the patients to the doctor. And that's what created the tele-ICU or the inpatient setting. And of course, over 23 years, we have advancements in technology. We have the things called cell phones that mm -hmm. are basically mobile master computers and all these different variations on how it's handled. So you flash forward to right before the pandemic, um, around 2018, UAB says we are the leaders in healthcare in Alabama. And we've got to find a way of improving healthcare in Alabama because let's be real it's still in the bottom 50. It's really not the strongest in the nation. So looking around, they said that the standard of care for all high reliable organizations across the country is a tele-ICU. But we have no clue what that is. So we've got to look around and figure it out. There's all these companies out there that are outsourced tele-ICUs. So they said, why do we need to reinvent the wheel? Why don't we take one of their wheels, we'll put a new grade of rubber on it, and we'll forge our own path. And that's what they did. 
So UAB partnered with a company called Hiquity Health, who's been doing tele-ICU for well over 16 years. They are one of the largest outsourced companies in the country. They monitor more than 2,100 patients across the country, have over five, five hubs across the country. So UAB says, listen, we love the infrastructure that you guys have. We love the interfacing, the computer intelligence model that we use. We love all that. We want to partner with you to utilize you for that and IT support. But we're going to run the hub. It's going to be UAB professionals, UAB doctors, UAB nurses, UAB clientele, UAB everything. You guys will be our support system. They struck the deal. And on August 31st, 2020, they brought me on board with the understanding of we've got this infrastructure. We got the background. Build us a team. Get us started. And that's how we got started with it. Okay. Awesome. Wow. That's what an amazing story. And kudos to Dr. Wallace and, and all of those that have in you for forging this pathway, because I think and still in my mind, even I'm I can't exactly wrap my head around what is the what does it look like mm -hmm. if I, I say I'm a patient in an ICU, but I'm tell ICU with UAB hospital. I, I, tell me what it is like. Yeah. What does it mean? I can do that really easily. <laughs> OK, good. Have you ever seen Iron Man? Yes. yes. Okay. Easiest way to think about this. Hey, Paul. Yeah. We love movies on this show. Right? Hey, I'm a movie guy. Hey, I'll tell you right now, we can go all day long with movies. Yeah. So Iron Man, when he's in his suit, he has an AI technology Jarvis. And Jarvis puts all this stuff up on the visor. He can tell him where he's hurt, make predictions, make phone calls, give him all sorts of data and information. But Iron Man does the physical work, right? Yeah. That is a relationship the tele-ICU has with the bedside oh, team. We are Jarvis for the bedside team being Iron Man. So we use computer intelligence technology. It's a platform that pulls algorithms from information from the patient's medical record, a data mining and training software we use, vital sign software. It puts it all together and gives us real-time visual alerts for things that are outside the norm, like vital signs, patient condition, labs, all these different things. And when that comes in, we get this visual alert. We then, using our nursing experience, pull up the patient's medical record, this data mining software, the trending software, and we look at it all together, right? And then we decide, and we're looking into that to say, okay, is this patient's oxygen dropping because they're wiggling their finger and it's a bad connection, was this truly a, an acute decline in their condition? Once we figure that out, we initiate this camera session and it's two-way audio video. So the bedside team, everybody there that's in that room can see and hear us very clearly. We can see and hear them and it gives us more global view. Our camera can span the room. We can look up, down, all around. We can hear everything crystal clear. We have a zoom that's so tight, I can see the pupils on a patient's eyes. No. So we have great visibility and that's where the communication comes in. So. The flip side to that is a lot of times because people don't understand it, they'll think, OK, you're spying on me, you're recording me, you're watching me all the time. But that's not the case. We monitor data and initiate a camera assessment when you. needed. Okay. And that's where it comes from. So, so the, oh, I'm sorry, BJ. Well, I just to clarify yeah. it. So you're here mm -hmm. and they're somewhere else. Absolutely. <laughs> like where? Uh, well, right now, <laughs> we uh, since we went live on November 17th, 2020, we went live with two units that allowed us to monitor up to 46 patients. Wow. We were able to evolve the program and change the program, because let's be real, we didn't know what we were doing. We just you took a cue from our partners, but we changed this program to fit the UAB way and what we decided. We expanded, showed some success. Powers of B said, listen, we need to bring this to the med surge area because they need just as much support, if not more than the ICUs do. 
So we developed a new program, which was not very common across the country. It's virtual nursing, or we call it teleacute nursing. We started this on April 20th of 2021, so just a few months after we went live. We've expanded to the point now where 15 total units at UAB. We monitor up to 323 patients, and we've expanded to a third service line, which is our virtual sitter line. And it's something a little bit different we can get into if you guys like to in a little bit. I'm familiar with that. You're familiar with it. Okay, very good. So with that, we're spread throughout both UAB main campus and UAB Highlands, and we're continuing to expand. The goal is to be in every med surge room at UAB. We're in eight of the 11 ICUs. Some of the other stuff is a little bit different. So we're kind of capped at what our ICUs are. But that's not locking us where we are, because if you think about it, UAB is resource rich. There's so many resources at UAB hospitals that they're tripping over each other. I mean, it's crazy, right? Other hospitals in the state of Alabama are not like that by any means. Where at UAB, you have a doctor on every ICU 24-7, whether it's the primary physician, whether it's a fellow, um, you know, APPs, residents, whatever it is, there's always somebody there. But if you look at rural hospitals or even other hospitals here in Birmingham, they have one doctor for their entire hospital, mm-hmm. and it's usually an ED doctor. Yeah. It's hard to be able to get through all. We go back to the early 2000s where, you know, massive deficit. If you're able to have the support of a UAB physician and a UAB nurse 24-7, that's great. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're expanding to outside hospitals, outside of UAB's boards. Mm -hmm. My goal is to be in every hospital in the state of Alabama within five, six years. Mm -hmm. Very lofty. I get it. But you got to have a goal, right? Right. right. (laughs) So if I'm hearing you right, you currently you're in the ICUs here at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. So that does not negate the nurse that's that's at the bedside already, right? Not at all. Right. It depends on the nurse at the bedside. Yeah. We don't exist without the bedside. Like I said, re- the real relationship is Jarvis to Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I can tell you all day long what I see, but you're the one that's there. Mm-hmm. You're the one that has the true view of what's going on with the patient. You have to be able to touch patients. Um, I think it gets lost sometimes, especially with raising a young generation of nurses in COVID that didn't get the opportunity mm-hmm. to be in hospital clinicals. You have to touch a patient. Correct. You have to understand what's going on. and. As amazing as the virtual system is, we can't replace that. Right. We can supplement it. So with the bedside team, there's always the thing of, I'm looking at this patient, but something doesn't look right. I need another set of eyes. That's what we can be. Yeah. The other part to that is, there's no secret that the average experience of the bedside nurse in today's world is less than six months. Mm. I mean, we, we all yeah. realize that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we have bad nurses at all. It just means we haven't seen a lot, right? The average experience in my operations center is well over 16 years. So we're bringing that experience back to the bedside in ways of mentoring, guidance. We don't overstep. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to help you if you have questions and give you some guidance because we have been there. We have seen Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. So how do you foster that relationship with them? You know, do you you meet with them regularly? Mm -hmm. How do they get to know you and Mm -hmm. trust (laughs) <laughs> you and what your your team is saying. Time. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nurses are like uh, only children. We don't like things that people in our room. We don't like people touching <laughs> our stuff. I mean, it <laughs> is the reality. We don't like change. Right. So introducing a tele-ICU into a, into a system, especially at a place like UAB, it really is one of those things of we are the newest kid on the block. And you're not going to give the newest nurse your sickest patient until they've proven themselves. 
So it takes time. It takes time to get over the idea that we're trying to get somebody in trouble or watching them. It takes time to build that trust and build that rhythm. Once it happens, it gets so much smoother and people, that light bulb goes off. That's what you can do for me. Because it's testing. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And it, it really takes a little bit of time. It's easier in areas like the med surge to build that relationship because med surge uh, nurses tend to have a larger patient load. These are walkie-talkie patients, mm-hmm. and the med surge nurses are running constantly. Yeah. In the ICU, you have a smaller patient load, but the acuity of these patients is so much higher mm-hmm. that your focus is constantly in that room. So there's a difference in approach. You know, I w- if Anybody listening to us will get one thing from this conversation is the fact that you guys uh, uh, augment the existing team already. So you're just not operating there uh, by yourselves, but you're working as a team with the the bedside team as well. So, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask is, you know, somebody who's interested in becoming a tele-ICU nurse, what kind of background do they have to have? Yeah, you know, for us, it's a minimum of two years experience. Mm-hmm. With If it's ICU, they want to be part of the tele-ICU, they have to have a minimum of ICU bedside experience. If it's for our tele-acute part of it, they have to have a minimum of bedside experience, period. We get a lot of people who are tech-savvy or interested in informatics and things like that, but they come right out of school. They don't have the experience. And reality is I can teach anybody to be a virtual nurse but I'm not in a situation where I can teach them to be a nurse. They have to learn that again, hands on and understand that relationship. So just a little bit of the experience that two years of experience. And what we find a lot of times is I got such an eclectic mix of people on my team. We've got people who've been nurses for over 30 years. In fact, they were ready to retire because their body couldn't handle the bedside anymore. And once we developed this, we're like, no, I was going to retire in six months. You gave me another six years. I'm like, that's awesome. And then we got those that have been nurses for just over two years. But again, very tech savvy, high into the tech part of things, love informatics and want really to develop that. And in the in-between, we've got those who are going for those advanced practice degrees and they need that other bit of experience that they're gonna develop in the future, which, I mean, this isn't the future, this is the now, and this is what everybody needs. It's really interesting. I was gonna ask about a nurse, um, I say an older nurse, but a more experienced nurse who might be not so into that techie, part of it, but then you said you've got some with 30 years of experience and ready to retire, but not. So is it hard to grasp the technology of it or they just kind of step right in? <laughs> Nobody steps right in. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. No, um, yeah, it's funny when I onboard everybody, when I'm going through the new hire paperwork, I give them this picture and it's of a baby orangutan and it's got the hair pulled up and everything else. And it's just got this cross-eyed look and underneath it, it says, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> and I tell everybody, when a person first sits down at one of our stations, they all have the same response. What did I just get myself yeah. into? Because it's extremely visually overwhelming. Where a person's body's not going to be taxed by the rigors of the bedside, mentally, they are. Because we're learning to decipher all this data and move through all how we do rounds and do a virtual visit on every patient. And that's a camera assessment, reading charts, every patient. So. The beauty of what we do is repetition. Mm-hmm. And that's how a person learns. Correct. I used to love it when working at the bedside training people. I'd hear all these other nurses complain, oh, this person's so task oriented. They're new, they're supposed to be. When you do repetition and you do the same task over and over again, when something's not right, you see it. 
And that's how a person develops that sense, that nursing gut that we talk about. Well, it's the same way here. We do repetition. We have a quality checklist. We round on every patient, every shift. We go through the same process. And then we start recognizing these things that are outside the norm, and that develops that process back for us. So even those nurses who are not tech savvy, who have a flip phone still, not the new style flip phone, by the way, <laughs> or uh, those who tend to feel like they are a uh, computer virus because every time they touch something, it goes down. Yeah. I have them all. We developed the process to where within four to five weeks, they are comfortable with mm-hmm. it and they're able to move right through it. And it's been extremely successful. I have people that grasp it quicker, yeah. but the biggest thing I tell everybody, no stress. We're going to work on it together because we have a team environment. Everybody's there to help. Paul sounds like you're a very good manager. Um, I'll take that credit. Yeah. No, <laughs> I think you have, uh, uh, just listening to you talk, uh, that people skills that is required in most managers. So now let's talk about the nurses that you manage. Yeah. Um, how many patients do they monitor on a daily, on a given shift? Every one of the nurses monitors between 46 and 48 patients. Wow. So they have multiple units and that's both ICU and acute care. Yeah, it, it seems massive. Now, I mentioned before, I have an ICU background. So coming from an ICU, I got two patients, I'm, I'm cruising. I got three, I'm rocking it. Give me four, hold up. Yeah. I haven't done this in a minute. Pump the brakes. Let me, let me, let yeah. me think about how I'm gonna go through this process because it's different working in that world. We're doing an assessment on every patient every 30 minutes. So that's crazy when you're at the bedside doing that. It's tough to keep up with that, in addition to all the other responsibilities you have. In the tele-ICU, we have 12 hours to do our assessments. We don't have to keep going back every 30 minutes on the same thing. So it allows us to truly take our time and do things that is more old school than it is now, and that's reading the chart in its entirety, reading through the doctor's notes, surgeon's notes, nurse's notes, looking for these quality items and making sure we're up to date. I know being at the bedside quality stuff like DVT, prophylaxis, SUP, things like that, it's on the back burner because I'm trying to keep this patient alive. We get to help with that. And one of the things we do is we go through, because we have multiple units, each, each, each nurse has multiple units. We go through and we do our rounds. And when we see something that's not quite in there, we will tally it up and then we'll send an email to the charge nurse on the unit rather than calling for everything. Call fatigue's real. We don't want to exacerbate it. And in that email, we call it possible needs. Now, this isn't you missed something or, hey, you got to get on this. This is while we did our rounds, we didn't see these things. And we realized that you are responsible for going through and checking quality stuff on every person. That's time consuming. We're already there. Take a look at these things. Maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we can work on these things. And we started seeing improvements right away. We were seeing patients that were going a long time without nutrition like four or five days. Well, it wasn't because neglect, it's because changing hands, trying to extubate patients, any number of things could go on and it kind of falls to the back burner. At 48 hours, we notify, hey, this patient has to add nutrition in 48 hours. After a little time doing that, we started seeing declines in wounds, which is massive, great response to that. Same thing with our compliance with DVTs, our compliance with sepsis, all these things. So whether it may be a little annoying to point this out, it still is helping change and shape that culture back to what it was prior to COVID. And that's an amazing thing. Other parts of that are with the lab values. Sometimes lab values slide through and people don't understand it. We, um, it's story time, sorry. Um, oh, I love it. We had uh, a lab value came across this for a bicarb on a patient that uh, wasn't uh, 
heavy renal patient. Mm -hmm. So it was very low. And we were looking at it and I got involved with that. And I talked to us, we call them station nurses. They go ahead and call the nurse and just check them and see if you can help call the doctor, get some orders for replacement therapy and stuff. Mm -hmm. So my nurse calls the bedside nurse and says, hey, you know, this bicarb's really low. Would you like me to call the doctor for you so we can get an order to replace it? And the nurse is like, well, why? Because pharmacy had not, not pharmacy, but lab had not called them about a critical low alert. Mm -hmm. So my nurse is like, okay, let's talk to you about what this does and how it shapes that patient. So they went through it. We called the doctor, we got orders, got replacement. Very next day, same station nurse, my nurse, gets another alert for a bicarb on another patient, still low, but it's a different patient. Calls, happens to be the same nurse. And my nurse says, hey, we got this alert on the bicarb, wanted to reach out, do we need us to call the doctor? And that nurse says, you know what? I've already called the doctor and we're working on it. Oh, this boom, we've already shaped yeah, it. Yeah. And that's great. It's mentoring and educating and getting back to it without overstepping, yeah. just making that suggestion. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I wish I would have had someone like that for me a as a new, a, yeah, a yeah, bunny. It, yeah. it is because you are, you do get caught up in that day to day, trying to keep these patients alive and just keeping your head above water mm -hmm. some days. Yeah. And then to have that resource, just call and say, Hey, I got your back on this is what it sounds like. Yeah. I'm here Absolutely. for you. Yeah. You know, I too wish I had, you know, some, some system like that when I was, you know, a new nurse. Uh, because unfortunately, a lot of ICU nurses, when they come on in that as the new, the first job as a nurse, they leave pretty quickly because right. it's just too intense. There's too mm -hmm. much going on. Had we had services like that when we were, uh, you know, coming out, Tracy, I think, uh, would have seen, you know, uh, better outcomes in, in terms of nurse uh, retention in the ICU. Do you see that to be the, the case currently? We do in some areas. Mm -hmm. You know, some areas, it, it's... There's so many things that go on and it's hard to really say, you know, I'll take credit for all of it, but you know, it's hard <laughs> to really say what's, uh, what's doing that. And some of our acute care areas were used as a recruiting tool. Mm -hmm. And I, we've seen that that's been very successful with the ICUs. You know, again, <laughs> ICU nurses are a bit of a different breed and uh, we look at things different. We, we, we are the elite of the elite is how mm -hmm. we look at it a lot of times. And it's hard to ask for help when you feel like you have that type of uh, expectation. Mm -hmm. uh, our first night opened, November 17th. One of the ICUs that opened was a COVID ICU. And they had a lot of new nurses that had just come off orientation when they opened this unit. And they had amazing training. We'll never say that they didn't. They had amazing training, they really did. But it's kind of hard to train for COVID. Right, nobody knew. Right. So we had a nurse the very first night um, the nurse was inside a COVID room, had a patient who was on a ventilator breathing machine and they weren't, they were fighting it. They weren't really accepting the breathing for them. So their heart rate was through the roof. Their respiratory rate was through the roof. Their oxygen levels and their, their blood pressures were all dropping. And the nurse had done everything they knew it to do, but they're in a COVID room. So they can't walk out and ask for help. So they pressed the emergency button on the wall for us. My nurse cameras in and listens to the story of what's going on. Yeah. looks at the patient's medical record, sees a certain IV medication ordered, looks in the room, sees that that IV drip is hanging, but it's going at the lowest rate possible. So my nurse talks to that nurse and says, hey, this is what this medication is. This is how it affects your patient, how it will improve their condition. Now I'm gonna stay here with you because these are the titration parameters. I'm gonna stay in the room with you until they improve. 10 to 15 minutes later, that patient's back to normal, relaxing, having a great night. The bedside nurse is no longer pulling their hair out. So they're not going to look like me in a few years. They're having a good night. Yeah. And, and so that's the relationship we are there for. 
and it makes it a great thing. So it does help. And we do see better retention with that. Now, the overall part of it, you're still having people that want to go traveling and all that. We can't control that. Right. But we are seeing that those travel nurses are coming back to us now because it's not the world they thought it was. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And thankfully, mm-hmm. thankfully, they're coming back. Exactly. So you mentioned in that story mm-hmm. an emergency button. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's in every room? That they, So that not only are you going into their room when you mm-hmm. see something, but if they need help, they can also reach out to you. Absolutely. Hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. It's, it's So this is a great feature that we have. The big green button on a wall. And it pretty much just says, push me, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, uh, we call it a tele alert button. So all they have to do is press that button on the wall and it sends a massive alarm overhead in our operations center. And then on our stations, on our computers, a little box pops up and it tells us exactly what room it is. Instead of having to go search through who's on that or whatever, the nurse covering that can just click on that box and it automatically cameras us in. So again, we don't have to filter through to try to find them. It's a very quick reaction. It takes about 20 seconds, 30 seconds for us to be, remote it in and we're able to assist with whatever we need there. I mean, different features that we have, we can be a second sign off for high risk medications for the bedside. So they don't have to run around finding somebody. We can get a physician to them immediately. We can help advise if they have questions. There's so many different things we can do, but we also only in our med surgery, not our ICUs, we do admissions for the bedside. So we are the first contact for the patient. And this has been one of those things we really focused on for patient satisfaction, nursing satisfaction, nursing communication. So if you think about it, if you're a first time patient or a 30 time patient and you're coming into a hospital, you're already anxious because you're coming into the hospital. Well, when you go into a room and nobody comes in there for 30 minutes to an hour, it can feel like hours upon hours upon hours. And you feel neglected. The reality is that nurse has six, seven, eight, nine other patients. They are busting their tail to get meds, get them bathed, get them up walking, whatever they need to do. So our Agreement and what we do is when that patient comes into that room, we'll get started. They press a button on the wall. They let us know that we need to do the admission and we'll introduce ourselves. And I'll say, hey, I'm Paul. I'm your teleacute nurse today. We're a virtual nurse. Now, your your nurse BJ is going to be here in just a little bit. He's finishing up some of his Mm -hmm. patients. But we're going to go ahead and get all this admission stuff out of the way so that when he gets in here, his sole focus is on you. Yeah. And that starts improving that relationship immediately. They feel calm because they know that they've got somebody that's got their back, that's watching over them in some sense, you know, the camera's not always on. Right. But having the understanding of if something changes, they know somebody's there and they're gonna be somebody alerted. And it has really changed the shape of how patients are reflected in those areas to the point of we had somebody here that's a nurse practitioner, but one of the um, uh, instructors here School of Nursing told me that her father was in the hospital and has been in the hospital a few times. Well, the first time that they were in the hospital with one of our systems, it kind of scared them. They didn't know what was going on. Somebody just pops on this monitor and is yeah. talking to them. Once they figured out what we were doing, she said it was the first time that she felt comfortable to go home and let him stay in the hospital because she knew there was 24-7 second-to-second coverage. Yeah. And it was to the point that when she came back uh, a few times later and he didn't have our teleacute nursing program, she was like, can we get it? Yeah. Where's <laughs> my green button? Right, where's the green button? <laughs> so it adds that sense of safety and security for the patients. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Do you give the family members, or do they have access to the button? If, if they're <laughs> in there and something happens, I mean. 
They can. We don't encourage it, <laughs> yeah, but it has happened. All can you bring yeah, them my lunch? Exactly, because yeah. that does happen. Or you know, you get a patient that's just bored, and just stumbles over and hits it. Like, yeah, hey, I, was, I just want to talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we can talk to you for a minute. Um, yeah. We have had it though in an emergency situation where a patient started having a seizure and the family member pressed yeah. the button. And we were able to get people in quickly yeah. mm -hmm. and rectify the situation, help out with the situation. So it does happen. It does. Um, we just we don't encourage it for the basics. Sure. Yeah, no, I understand that. So do I as a patient or you know, patient loved one have to give consent for you guys to be monitoring my loved one or myself? No, not at all. So this is just part of care at UAB. Okay. So when a patient comes in and signs for consent to be cared for at UAB, this is part of it. Mm -hmm. Now if a patient doesn't feel comfortable, they can request that we don't camera in. We'll still be monitoring their condition, their vital signs, their labs, their charts and everything, but we don't have to do the camera assessment. We can put what's called a privacy indicator on. That'll keep us from cameraing in. That's fine. Yeah. We have no problem with that because just like any other part of healthcare, the patient has a right to refuse. And we stick to that. You know, it is the patient's right. Um, now, the bedside team, they they can't really receive you know, refuse that, but that's okay. We want to work with them and we work with them based on their needs. So I think it's really interesting though, because you can still, like you said, monitor their vitals and and call, mm -hmm. if you had to call the charge nurse and say, hey, can you, ch just like what you did with the lab mm -hmm. work, you know, so you're still there, but not, maybe not seeing. Exactly. But the video camera's not on all the time. Correct. It's, it's just not. only when you video in. Exactly. And we, then it, it, is that monitor, is it just on the wall? Mm -hmm. Like, so your face pops up? And yeah, like, yeah. I'm on call. I scare a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to teach people how to have a camera presence? <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, real quickly, the, the process is, so it's a 17, is it seven? No, it's a little bit larger than that. I think it's a, maybe a 22 inch monitor. Mm -hmm. So it's smaller than the standard TV and it has a speaker attached to it, a microphone attached to it and this small cameras, uh, like a, a ball type camera, what they used to use on spy planes. Yeah. Right. And so it's facing the wall, the camera is. When we come in, or we're gonna initiate assessment, that camera will spin around, and it's like flipping a light switch on. Mm -hmm. All our systems come on. And our initial uh, communication is we'll hit a doorbell, that ding dong, so it alerts people we're coming in. And then we'll say, hi, I'm Paul. I'm your tele-EQ nurse today, or your tele-IC nurse today. All right, that I turn my camera on so that you can see me. And most of the time it's yeah, sometimes, no, uh, right now it's not a good time. No problem, I'll come back later and I'll turn mm -hmm. it back off, mm -hmm. okay? With that, the um, it, it's it's great for the visual part of that, but it, it is very transparent because my name comes up on the on the monitor so you can tell I'm there. And then again, I'm gonna turn my the monitor on so you see me, unless you're asleep. If it's nighttime, I don't wanna, you know, it's pitch black in a room, you don't want this monitor to just pop on and see this face. That would scare anybody. Yeah. You know, we don't, so we're not trick-or-treating here. So we can use a night vision and things like that okay. as well. Oh, wow. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paul, you've mentioned a lot today. Mm -hmm. um, where can a nurse interested in uh, tele-ICU job go to access information um, such as job availabilities, you know, pay, you know, and so all the things that they need to know to find a job in the tele-ICU space? Yeah. Great questions. Um, you know, reading up on tele-ICU, a person can just type in tele-ICU. If they want to get some visuals of it, um, they can go to YouTube and type in tele-ICU. There's all sorts of videos across the country that none of them are from us yet. Uh, we're developing our own, but a lot of times they, they give a little bit of that visual. If they want to learn about the ones here at UAB, career page, UAB career page, that'll just type in tele-ICU and that should bring up the different availabilities and it talks about what the expectations are 
the the pay range and everything else. I have nothing to do with any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so, just looking at if you're already at UAB, UAB releases a lot of different uh, one-page information. You can look in there, and there's all sorts of articles about tele-ICU, the different variations of what tele-ICU does from a physician standpoint and nursing. Um, or they can contact me. I mean, I'm always up to talk about it. You can tell right now, I love to talk. So yeah. we can go through any of that process. Well, thank you so much. This uh, this is such an enlightening conversation. Um, so I, I really learned a lot today about this and am excited about the future that you said is actually, it's here. Mm-hmm. It's not some movie that we're right. watching anymore. So, wow, just amazing work that all, all of you are doing um, in this area to improve patient care and, and nurses' lives. Um, so what do you want our listeners to take away from this and to know about tele-ICU? You know, it, it's something that we should expect as our, our care. It should be a standard of care. You look at all the movies and cartoons and stuff of the future, everything is based through a computer system. You know, all medical movies and shows, they all have some kind of virtual system to it. Well, it's no longer a movie. It's it's reality. It's here. So when you come into the hospital, if you're coming to the hospital, should expect it. It should be there. And if it's not, should ask when it's coming. And as far as being, uh, you know, a member of the healthcare team, learn how to utilize it. Come and see us. If you're here at UAB, we want everybody to come to our operations center and see us. Come through, look at it, get a sense for it, because we will learn from the healthcare team at the bedside just as much as we learn from ourselves. That's how we evolve. That's how we improve it. So we want everybody to be a part of it. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I think personally, I learned a lot today and I hope our audience did too. Tracy, any final thoughts? No, thank you so much, Paul. It was wonderful to meet you. I'd love to talk to you more about this. So maybe we can have you back. Maybe we can take a, we can take a field trip. Yeah, definitely. Do a little filming over there on site. Absolutely. Um, So thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today on Clinical Pearls. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys.